talking the entire time because that would be really boring for everybody. So I really want um, to ask a bunch of questions and they're all in your handout. Uh, the handout is essentially my, my, my manuscript with the questions attached to it. So we're just gonna quickly walk through that. You know, we only have about 55 minutes to get through it all. If we don't get through everything, it's okay. Um, you can answer some of those questions on your own, in your own personal study time. Um, but uh, let's pray before we get going, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time together as followers of Jesus, Lord, uh, learning about um, the love that you have showered upon us, Lord, and uh, we're thankful, God, that we have the Bible, that we have the Spirit, and that we have one another, Lord. Make yourself known today in the teaching and preaching of your word, Lord. Stir our hearts and our minds. Help our thinking, Lord. Be with me, the teacher of the day. Uh, help us to just follow you in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. So in my quick scan of the previous lesson, I mean, I've not been a part of the actual class in any way, so I don't know exactly what Tyson's been teaching. But in my sort of quick scan of things, um, essentially this is what I come up with in the Upper Room Discourse and maybe some of the things that Tyson was teaching last week. Uh, right here in, your, in the notes, it says, The Upper Room Discourse provides a wonderful window into what it means to be loved by God, to love God, and to reveal God's love to others. And as I understand it, last week's lesson was focused on four relationships that characterize life with our Lord Jesus Christ. And those relationships include the one between Jesus and his Father, the one between Jesus and his followers, the relationship between followers together, and the followers' relationship with the world. And that characteristic, that all-defining thing that is most magnified in those relationships and the one that connects us together, a thread, is called love. Right? Abiding love for the Father and Son, a relational love with other followers of Jesus, and love for those who, who don't follow Jesus. Love is, in fact, the fuel. It's the spark that ignites our desire to give of ourselves, and love is most assuredly the light that shines from all true believers. And it reveals the very heart of Jesus. And it draws other people to, to the Lord. Um, love is a theme, a big, thick, wide river that runs from page 1 to page 1500 of the Bible. right? A very important theme. And I think um, in my quick review of chapter 15, that was probably captured pretty well last week as my assumption. So... Like all good teachers and preachers, I like to pull things from our culture to help us sort of help guide us through a text, right? To, to help us look at it from a different angle. And in this case, I've, as I thought about this text and asked the Lord, Lord, I just need something. I need a story to sort of lead us through this text. And I thought about the Karate Kid of all people. I mean, I love the Karate Kid. I must have watched that movie 47 times when I was a kid. And um, 
Essentially, the main character, Daniel LaRusso, he finds himself involved in a love story. Actually, there's two love stories, but we're going to focus on one half of that love story, where he learns, ultimately, how to defend himself against his enemies. And as the story unfolds, Daniel becomes a disciple of his neighbor and karate master, Mr. Miyagi. And using those skills that Mr. Miyagi taught him to care for a car, to paint a fence, to wax a floor, and the wisdom to know when to use them, Daniel was taught foundational lessons to help him defend himself against the inevitable battle with his enemies. And like Mr. Miyagi, our master Jesus has been teaching his disciples some very important lessons as he prepares them to engage their enemies. And where the Karate Kid learns to wax on, wax off, and paint the fence and sand the floor, followers of Jesus learn the importance of love. Abiding love for the Father and Son, relational love for all followers of Jesus, relational love for all followers of Jesus, and love for those who don't follow Jesus. I mean, love is a foundation needed to withstand the adversary in the world and the one inside every believer. And we are, in fact, dealing with two adversaries, outside the church and inside the hearts of those who make up the church. Listen, if you spend just a few moments reflecting on that love and the lessons that Jesus has given to his disciples in this discourse, one would think that love, that the love, power, answer, prayer, peace, and joy showered down upon followers of Jesus would insulate them against pain and suffering. I mean, surely, right? If Jesus loved us that much, and does all that he has promised to do for our sakes, we would think that he would take steps to make certain we would have friendships with the world that are filled with love and kindness. We would never have to endure ridicule or rejection, much less be hated, persecuted, and for some, put to death. And in light of sort of that general understanding, that introduction... My first question to, to the group, again, we want this to be a discussion, so feel free, there's no right answers. Um, we just want to have an open discussion. My first question is, why do you think God would allow those he calls friends to be hated? Why do you think God would allow those he calls friends to be hated? priority of preaching the gospel is going to be to take that message to, to not friendly confines. I mean, he is he's sending them out as messengers. It automatically assumes there, there's going to have to be conflict. I mean, there's yeah. no way to proclaim the gospel without it. Right. Yeah, interesting, Gabe. Um, I think that we see in the church today, there's a lot of people that preach a gospel that's not offensive, Right. Um, and the reality is that people can be saved through even that preaching of the gospel, right? I think that preaching of the gospel is, 
is distinctly separated from the law, right? I mean, the gospel of Jesus, if you don't preach the law, the hammer that crushes you, the law, then the gospel isn't nearly as sweet and delightful, right? Um, But yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, there's no question that as messengers, we're all ministers of the gospel. Every person sitting here who um, knows Christ as a savior, who's put their faith in him has become a minister of the gospel. Any other thoughts about why God would call us friends uh, and then send us out to be hated? Yeah. I have a note in my Bible um, at the beginning of Philippians. I, I, one of our pastors obviously made this comment, but it says that persecution helps loosen our grip on the world. Hmm. And I wonder if that is one reason why, you know, so we don't depend on the world, we depend on Jesus. Ding, ding, ding. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, you know, uh, it's funny when you look at the scripture, especially the book of Philippians uh, in chapter four, um, there's that wonderful portion where, it's, where he talks about prayer. And um, what's interesting about prayer is that part of the purpose for doing that is to show, is for us to know that we're dependent on God, right? And part of our call to go out into a dark world, right, and be hated by many, many people is to keep us reliant on God, right? Um, so that's a, that's a great answer. Anybody else? Any comments about these two comments? Feel free. I'm happy to open it up. Anybody? No? Okay. Um, I've kind of laid out this teaching in three simple, I'm not going to call them points, but they're kind of thoughts, right, that hopefully will give us some idea, um, some clear understanding of the passage. Um, You can say this in so many ways, right? There's no really right or wrong way to do that. But the first of those three thoughts is there is hope in a world that hates you. And um, I'm going to read, starting in verse 17 of chapter 15 of John's Gospel. The Bible says, These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There's a, there's a, there's a number of wonderful seminary professors, but a Dr. Thomas Constable was a Dallas seminary professor, and he says this comment about these particular verses. He says, it is a truly, it is truly, It is as truly the nature of the world to hate as it is the nature of the Christians to love. Because the Christians are in Christ, hatred of them is hatred of Christ. But going back to our sort of movie to draw that through this teaching, um, it's really interesting that when Daniel LaRusso, the main character, moved from New Jersey to California, He was not at all prepared for the enemies that would attack him when he got there. 
And in the same way, many Christians today have not been prepared for what it's really like to follow Jesus. So many people flock to churches and preachers who promise worldly prosperity and perfect health, great happiness, not just for them, but for their entire families. So many, so many of us only want to hear what our itching ears want to hear. Because the truth of God's word often challenges our understanding of what following Jesus is really like. So in light of sort of verse number 17, I got a question that kind of popped up into my mind. What has Jesus commanded in the previous section? So that would be sort of, we could think, think 14 through the first half of 15. Um, and why is it important that his followers obey these commands? So we just peruse through chapters 14 and 15. What do you see are some of the commands that Jesus gives to his followers? I left my notes at home. So I'm going to be doing this on the fly with you. I'll give you a hint. The first one is in the beginning of chapter 14. Trust in God. Yeah, yeah. My translation says, believe in God, believe also in me. So that first command is to believe, right? Believe. That's a command in the scripture, believe it or not. Just as Jesus, just as John the Baptist and Jesus say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, that is a command. And some of us obey that command and some of us don't. Anything else? Chapters 14 and 15? Love one another. Yeah, that's so important. I mean, it, the, the Bible clearly teaches that it, that is the most defining, illuminating characteristic. That we have a, we are a peculiar people, as Peter, as Peter says, who love one another in a distinctly different kind of way than the world loves one another. This is a command. I don't, I don't think last week but maybe the week before last week, if you can recall, that first portion in John chapter 15, there's a really big command there. It's not a suggestion, right? Verse number four. I underlined it with two underlines in my Bible. Very, very big. Anybody? Verse number four, right there in the beginning of verse number four, the first three words. Anybody? Abide in me. Yeah. Right? Make your dwelling with Jesus. I heard a preacher talk about this once, that um, he, was a, he was studying in Scotland, and, and there was a young boy that he ran into in town, and he asked the boy where he lived, and he said, I abide in this town, right? That you make your home with Jesus, right? Um, I know that's going to look a little differently for everybody, but I think that... Um, those are really important commands, right? To believe, to love, and to abide. 
But why do you think it's important that we obey those commands? Certainly in light of those first three verses. Well, the world that hates us, well, the world that hates Jesus, why do you think it's important that we believe, abide, and love? No wrong answers. It strengthens us yeah. to withstand the hatred of others. Yeah. Makes us strong. Keeps us strong. When we're not strong, when we're weak. Yeah. Right? This is good. I like that it keeps us tethered to the one who gives us strength. Right? Love can also open doors that hate never will. Amen. Yeah, that's really good. I'm going to write that one down. Not right now. It's really good. Anybody else? Scripture, scripture tells us God's a good father and he wants us to have love. The world's not going to give it. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. That's really good answers. We want to try to move a little expeditiously through the questions because I've got 15 of them. I know that's a lot, but I think it'll be okay. Um, <clears throat> so if I could have some volunteers, um, I'd like somebody to raise their hand to read Matthew 4.18. Matthew 4, excuse me, 18 through 22. Anybody want to read that for me? Anybody? Awesome. Um, Mark 8, 34. Anybody? Mark 8, 34. Gotcha. Um, John 21, 19. John 21, 19. And Acts 4, 13 through 20. I know it's a lot of Bible reading, but... We are a Bible church, right? And I ask you that because I want to ask this question. In our you-do-you culture, I mean, this was literally the slogan, was it of Coca-Cola? Coca-Cola, the you-do-you. I think that was part of their slogan in the last couple of years. Um, what common theme do you see in those scriptures? So Matthew 4.18, Matthew 4, Mark 8, John 21, Acts 4, that caused the world to hate Christians. So let's read Matthew 4.18, Matthew 4.18 through 22. Mark 8:34 And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them If anyone wishes to come after me he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me John 21:19 This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God and after saying this he said to him follow me And lastly Acts chapter 4 verses 13 through 20 
Did anybody raise their hand for that one? Christy, would you mind? No. You don't have it? Up. Oh. Neither do I. Okay. Got it? Dan, go ahead. Yeah. So, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them, as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Yeah. Is there a. Go ahead. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot speak of what we have seen and heard. Yeah. I think I may have put that one in there by mistake. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> um, yeah, no, hey, it's the, it's the word of God, man. That's going to be edifying just hearing it. So, um, And anytime somebody volunteers to do anything, we want to let them do what they're going to do. So, uh, so in, at least in the first three portions of Scripture, there was a word. There was a word. It's a big, bold, illuminating word um, that is consistent through all of those Scriptures. Anybody know what that word is? Or words? What was it? Follow. Follow. Follow, right? Um, I don't want to spend too much time because it's pretty obvious, right? That um, we don't naturally like to follow anyone. And uh, the world has cultivated an understanding that you do you. And following someone else because of their great testimony and acts and acts is is a reason why people just it just doesn't make sense that we would follow this man this this god man it makes no sense to the world and it creates such frustration and anger in them because we're asking them to follow him as well right such an important important question um I think this is really important to this text. I know we don't have a lot of time, and I apologize. But I really want to look at some of these scriptures. Um, Christy, would you, look at, would you read for us John 7, 7, please? The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. Mm, mm. And in John 8, 23... 24, the Bible says this. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In verse 44, it says, you are of, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. I mean, part of this testimony that we have to give witness to in the book of Acts is what? What does Jesus do? What does he do and what does he call us to do to the world? And why do they hate them? Why does he, why do they hate them for it? Hate him for it? He testifies to their sin, to their sin, right? I mean, he calls them children of the devil. I mean, there's there's the truth, right? You're either in Christ and you're out of Christ. And if you're not in Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ, the Bible's very clear that you're a follower of the devil. That's super confronting, right? And I can't think of a better reason for the world to hate Jesus than for him to call them followers of the devil, right? I think in our culture today, they might define us as followers of the devil. Certainly the Pharisees define Jesus as a follower of the devil, for sure. It does beg the question, though, if loving someone is telling them the truth, right? Ephesians chapter 4, I think it's verse 15, possibly 16. Um, how do you think the world defines love? Acceptance and tolerance, absolutely. I think in the end, it's, it really is, what can you do for me? Hmm. You know, how can you satisfy me? How can you serve me? How can right. you, it's all about me. And if you get something out of it, that's great, but my primary concern is what I get out of it. Right. Yeah, the world could define love as an existence that orbits around yourself. Right? If you're not doing something for me, then you hate me. If you do, you love me, right? Yeah, those are, those are wonderful answers. Anybody else? Anybody else? I know that we've been kind of talking some negative hatred, right? And it's truth, right? We have to, we have to be able to see that clearly, that as much as we think we're loved by those people around us, when push comes to shove, when the gospel is proclaimed, right? When we are faithfully ministering the truth, we will be hated by those around us. There's just no question about it. But in verse number 19, Jesus gives us some wonderful hope. Um, it's the same hope that he gives us in 1 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Um, which we don't have to read due to time. But what is, the, what is the hope that Jesus gives us in verse 19 here of chapter 15? It's good. Anybody? That he chose us out of the world. I know that word chosen and election, it creates fire in all kinds of people. 
And I'm not going to, this is certainly not going to be a teaching about being chosen or elected or however you want to think about that. But at the very, right, but it's comforting to know that you've been chosen. That God has set his love on you. He set his love on you in his son Jesus. And by faith, you get to walk in that hope. It's a hope that's alive. It's alive for today as much as it is alive for eternity, right? It is a glorious thing that we could withstand hatred from the world because we have hope in Jesus. It's really, really quite wonderful. Um, any other thoughts about hope? Do y'all have hope today? Yes? I see smiles. Come on, somebody say amen. I've got hope today. I've got hope today. And no matter what happens in here today, no matter how much I botch up this teaching, you have hope today because your hope doesn't depend on anybody in here. Right? It depends on the work, the person and work of Jesus. Um, what a glorious thing that is. Um, so I've got a, a second thought that I want us to walk through, and it's uh, think section number four, number four on your handout, page two, right there. And it's going to cover verses 20 through 25, I think. So let me read that for us. And the Bible says this. I'll read slow. Remember the, world, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all of these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. And there's a lot of things that we could look at in The Karate Kid. A lot of Christology. I mean, it's in so many movies in our culture. It's just saturated still today. Even movies that are made today, we see themes of, of abiding Christian love and the great story of redemption all the time. And in the final scenes of The Karate Kid, though, we learn that the source of hatred for Daniel LaRusso was not only his direct enemies, but it was the hatred that the master instructor had for Mr. Miyagi. In the movie, in the movie Mr. Miyagi walked in humble obedience to what his loving masters taught him. And it was the love between them that gave Daniel LaRusso the desire to try, imperfectly, if you know anything about the movies, to do the same. The enemy's master instructor hated men like Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. He hated the love that unified them. The enemy teaches his followers, you do you. And he hates the very idea of following anyone but himself. 
And in a similar way, verses 20 through 25 show us the central reason why Jesus, his followers, and ultimately the Father are hated by the world. And as much as we would like psychology and sociology to give us the answer, it is basic theology from the Bible that offers us the straightforward truth. The world hates God. The ruler of this world and those that belong to him hate God. Those who stand with the Son also stand with the Father, and those who don't stand with Jesus, they stand alone. That is not a good position to be in. We can't forget that haters resent God for being loved. Love for his holy righteousness and his perfect justice. They resent Jesus and his followers for revealing that truth to them. And Jesus says this in a a paraphrase of John 15, 19. Once they recognize that you are in me and I am in you, and that you love me and follow me and believe the same things that I believe, they will hate you too. Once they recognize that you don't belong to them, right, that you're not of the world, you will find yourself the object of their disdain. I mean, there's some really harsh, confronting truth in verse number 20. Jesus tells us, tells his followers that they will be persecuted if they walk with him. And in spite of that eye-opening reality, there is a delight, a joy in verse 20. And how does that delight and joy in verse 20 inspire us to joyfully proclaim the truth through through the promised persecution? That's a lot of Ps. What do we see in verse 20 that causes us to delight in the possibility of persecution? Anybody? Yep. way that nothing else can, really. True. So if we take the long view, and by long view I mean not only this life, but the next life, yeah. then I think that perspective helps us to deal with yeah. persecution in this life. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful practical theology. Absolutely true. But there's something pretty specific. I mean, we're connecting with Christ both in his persecution and in his teaching. Yep. If they accept the teaching, they're accepting our teaching too. So it, we're connected in both ways. Right. You've got a really, there's a really important word, Gabe, that you put on there accept his teaching. Yeah. Right. We know if any of you have had the great joy of leading someone to Jesus, it, it undergirds the hope that you live by because you know that even though some will reject you and hate you, and revile you because of the words you speak to them, some will not. Some will embrace truth, right? Some will repent and turn to Christ, right? To save them from the, from the penalty of, of sin. So the hope is that the word that we proclaim does its work in the world, even in those that hate us. And to me, that's, 
That's why we keep walking. That's why we keep talking. That's why we keep loving and embracing and inviting. That's why our doors are wide open. Because we know. Because we have hope that somebody is going to respond to that proclamation. That's a good thing. Gabe, thank you very much. Um, in, in light of the sort of the core part of this teaching, I really want us to look at these, these next two these next two, um, next two questions, because I'm going to skip question number eight, although I think it's a really important question, um, but I really want us to look at something really important. So uh, question number nine, there are many religions who claim to know God the Father, right? And just a few of them. There are a lot, actually. Um, but just the big three are Judaism, Mormonism, and Muslim, and being a Muslim. And in light of... Verses 21 through 25, I tried to read it slowly. We didn't sort of, I didn't exponentially, I didn't go through it verse by verse and phrase by phrase. Um, I want us to look at Exodus 3.14, John 8.58, and John 14.9 through 14, and and answer the question, how do these verses help us understand why hating Jesus equals hating the Father also? Um, Somebody just... Read Exodus 3.14 for me. You don't have to raise your hand, just start reading. That's fine. Exodus 3.14. Exodus 3.14. Anybody? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And John 8.58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Yeah. And John 14, 9 through 14. I'll read this. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father." Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask me anything in my name. How do these verses help us understand why hating Jesus equals hating the Father also? Anybody? I'm going to start calling on people. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. I would never do that. Lottie, go. He claimed that they were one. That they were one. Yeah. And that's a big deal. Right? I am. I mean, we all know the I am statements in the Gospel of John. I'm not going to recite them for you. um, Mainly because I don't want to forget any and look and be embarrassed. Right, But he has positioned himself as the very God they believe in. 
And if they hate Jesus, they hate God. And you can't even imagine what it's like to talk to someone who hates Jesus with the white heat of a thousand suns. And then you tell them, well, I guess that means you hate God as well. You don't have to scream it at them. You can say it with as much delight and sweetness, but that very truth, I mean, that's really hard for so many people to hear, right? Especially people who are living what they believe are moral and upright lives, right? Those who believe that they are really following God. But if they don't follow Jesus, they're not following anything, right? I know it's hard to say that to people, by the way. I understand that. I understand that. But we have hope, because some will respond to that, right? Faithful soldiers. I don't think I'm going to do question number 10. Um, <clears throat> in short, as this passage goes, Jesus is confronting some um, Judaism law-related questions, right? And <clears throat> Jesus is building a fire in those people that believe that David, right, that the offspring of David will be the Messiah. And in Psalm 69, verse 4, David says that I'm hated by so many people, right? I'm hated by so many people. And in Revelation, it says that I am the offspring of David, right? And what Jesus, what Jesus is doing is that he's making a connection between himself and the man that's going to deliver the world the Messiah, going to give the world the Messiah through his lineage. And that, as you can imagine, is creating a whole other level of frustration for those who are hearing this teaching. Right? I mean, there's, we know that there are Pharisees and scribes that are in the audience that are listening. Actually, not in this one. This is the upper room, sorry. But we know that this is confronting the reality of people's, um, of what people believe about who Jesus really is, right? That he is the promised Messiah from you know, a thousand years ago, right? This one man, humble carpenter, that he's the one who lived a life without sin. That he's the one who willingly went to the cross. Right? He's the one that hung on the tree and bled and died and rose again. This Jesus, right, who came from nothing and is everything. And without him, you have nothing. Right? This is a super confronting truth to people who believe they're following God. Um, at least it was for me. I can promise you that. It was for me. I'm still confronted by it today as a follower of Jesus. And that third and last point that I want to make or thought is um, lean on the Spirit, the Word, and the church when you're persecuted by the world. The Bible says this, starting in verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. 
I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Like many of our favorite movies, there's always a smattering of sequels, some of them good, most of them not so good. I think that's the case for The Karate Kid, not so great sequels. Um, But they do reveal the development of characters that we've actually come to, to love, right? And what we see as Daniel LaRusso matures through those Karate Kid sequels is his ability to defend himself against more difficult enemies. And although tempted in many ways to give up what he has learned, Daniel finds renewed strength when he remembers those foundational lessons that his loving master provided him. And now our master, our master, our Lord Jesus has given to us all that we need to stay close to him, the Father, and our family in Christ. The world will in fact tempt us, just as they did Daniel Daniel LaRusso. He wanted to turn his back on the foundations of wax on, wax off, right? And and paint the fence and sand the floor. And we will be tempted to turn our backs on the foundation of faith in Jesus, in love as he's given to us. But if we lean on the spirit, the word of God and the church, we are able to stand strong when the world declares its hatred for truth for believers in truth, and the God who gave us truth. Real quick, as we look at verse number 26 specifically, why is it important that we know the Spirit comes from God? There's there's no right answer here. Let's just think through, why is it important that the Spirit comes from God? But when the Helper comes, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Why it is important, why is it important that we know the Spirit comes from God? In these moments, he was talking to his disciples. And yep. He was giving them reassurance that even though I'm gone, there's still going to be this helper to help you and guide the way. And in yeah. those same ways, this passage reassures us that though Jesus is not physically standing next to us, we still know that we've got the Spirit with us to help guide us, to help mature us, to help teach us, yeah. and show us the way. Wonderful. Anybody else? Well, you know truth um, that helps you identify counterfeit. Hmm. Hmm. When you look at very good a real dollar bill, you know you can concentrate on all the counterfeits, but you might miss one. But all you got to do is look at a real dollar bill, and then you can compare that to everything else. And awesome. if you believe that that dollar bill is real, then you have a standard by which to measure everything 
You should be up here teaching. That's good. That's so good. That's so good. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? I've got one. Just kind of popped into my mind. <laughs> it won't be that profound. Not coming from me, at least. Um, I don't know where we're at in the book of Philippians in our sermons. Um, we're, we're still in chapter 1. I just don't know how far we've gotten up to this point. But I just want to read this section real quick, if you don't mind. It says in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1, it says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. If you're wondering what it takes to proclaim the gospel to those that hate you, it is the God that Jesus has sent you. It is the God who dwells in you. It's the God who empowers you. Right? You don't preach the gospel in your own strength, but you should have confidence that God has given you himself to help you do that when it's time to do that, right? Our confidence is not in ourself. Our confidence is in the Lord, right? Not only do we have the power to proclaim the truth, we have the power to understand the truth, even when it's disguised from us, right? Like a counterfeit dollar bill, right? Um, it's really, really important that we understand that, that um, we've been given We've been given God. We have God with us, dwelling in us, around us. He goes before us, stands behind us, on either side of us to help us in this walk of faith with Jesus. Okay? Um, I think we pretty much captured question number 12. What will we witness to, right? This is where Acts chapter... Um, uh, Acts chapter 4 comes in, um, but Acts chapter 1 clearly says that we are witnesses for Jesus. Now, I, I love people's testimony. Praise be to God for testimonies. Amen? But we're not called to share our testimony. We're called to share His testimony. Right? And if you want to know what His testimony is, it's just right there on the pages of Scripture. It's not complicated. Right? I mean, it can be complicated, but it's not for the general here, right? Um, I want to encourage you to, to build your ability to share his testimony with the world. And if you start with yours, that's great, but quickly get to him. Because it's his testimony that draws people in, okay? Persecution is a big deal, and it's something that we generally run away from as a church. We, we really don't want to have anything to do with it, and God has blessed America for so long, but the tides are changing. They're changing. It's just a reality. We shouldn't be surprised. It's happened throughout the centuries, for millennia, right? What started good was great, but it always ends bad. Always. It just does, right? Um, but I want us to look at Acts chapter 5, and I'll read this. Um, Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 33, 
I want to try to answer the question. I think it's going to be a pretty simple answer. How should followers of Jesus respond to persecution? How should followers of Jesus respond to persecution? Acts chapter 5, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put them outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you do, what, what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, I don't know how to pronounce that word, rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. And he was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, uh, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Amen. But if it is God, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. How should followers of Jesus respond to persecution? Anybody? That's a lot of reading, I know. But it's right there in the last part. Rejoicing. Rejoicing. Actually, the word rejoice means renew your joy. So there is a renewed sense of joy when you suffer for the name of Jesus. When you're accounted worthy to suffer for his name. You think you get pain and sorrow and sadness, but what God gives you in response is joy and gladness. That's what he gives you when you suffer for his name. This is an amazing truth. Um, and this is a, we should embrace suffering as a church. Embrace it as one of our pillars, right? We go out into a world that hates us, right? And we suffer for them to proclaim and witness for the works of Jesus. And they revile us. And God gives us joy when that happens. Talk about a peculiar people, for sure. The church will be hated, and Jesus promises persecution. But he also promises the help we need to endure it. Whether trials and testing come from the world on the outside, or the world still living on the inside of us, that's right. We know that the sorrow will be turned to joy when we are counted worthy to suffer for his great name. And we know that because the Bible says so. And we have a command and a commission, friends, a command and a commission. We are commanded to love God and to love our neighbor, our enemy, as ourselves. And we are commissioned to go and make disciples and witness to the amazing work of Jesus. And as followers of God, we are agents of grace who have been shown great mercy. We were once enemies, but by faith, we have been made friends. 
So I want to leave you with one question, not one to answer here, but one for you to consider as you're going throughout your week. And that is, in this season of your life, in every season of your life, how are you going to love your enemy, your neighbor? How are you going to go and love your enemy? Go and love your enemy. How are you going to go and love your enemy, your neighbor, into friendship, just as Jesus did with you? It's a good question. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your attention today. Let me pray for us real quick, and then we'll get on out of here. Father, thank you that you have given us your very self, Lord. Father, empower us to proclaim the truth, Father. Give us confidence in what we know is true because the Bible says so, Lord. Father, help us to hold fast to your Son, to the very Word of God, and to those who are who we're walking with in the church, Lord. Father, you are our hope through all difficulties, through all the persecution, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the suffering, Lord God. Hold us fast, Father. And we thank you, and we praise you, and we pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.